0: Good morning, friends. Today is the second Sunday of the Lenten season, and our gospel text uh, for this morning is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. A bit of a tough passage, and it goes like this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Again, good morning. Welcome to the second week of Lent, and I pray this message is encouraging to you race in peace. As I said earlier, today is the second Sunday of the season of Lent, and Lent is that forty-day uh, period that takes us to Easter. Uh, and the road to Easter uh, has to pass through these scenes of Jesus's arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And even though we associate Christianity most with the resurrection of Jesus, um, the primary image that comes to mind is the cross. Uh, more than any other symbol, the cross stands as the most recognizable icon uh, of the Jesus community, of Christianity. But it wasn't always so. It would take centuries before uh, the church would embrace that symbol. And the story in our passage today sheds some light on why that is the case. So a few things from this story and then some application going forward, and then we'll discuss uh, some of this for a few minutes. The first thing is that in this story, it's very interesting, uh, Jesus discloses to his disciples the fate that awaits him, that he will suffer through rejection, betrayal, and then death. Um, Mark says that Jesus was pretty clear about it too. He says that he said this plainly to them, so there was no confusion as to what uh, Jesus was telling them, and as readers of the story uh, some two thousand years later, this is not all that earth shattering to us we We kind of know the story, but for the disciples in that moment, it was so the first thing that happens is Jesus discloses uh, what awaits him. The second thing is that peter uh, this is my favorite part, pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him is what the text says now, the Greek word for rebuke. Is connected to the same word that's used for exorcisms. So Peter seems to think that Jesus is possessed, that he's crazy, that something is pulling him in a weird direction. So Peter pulls him aside to fix him, to set him straight, to like repair whatever faulty craziness is going on in his head. So Peter pulls Jesus aside to uh, give him a talking to. You know, which is what you should do to Jesus by the way, uh, why does he do that well mark doesn 't really tell us, but we do know uh from just understanding Jewish culture at that time and its ideas about the coming messiah uh, the first century messianic ideals uh saw the Messiah, the coming Christ, as more political than spiritual didn 't mean they weren 't spiritual, but their primary role. Would be to um, to basically reestablish Israel as a uh, as a formidable people, especially in the days of Jesus. Israel is living under the oppressive regime of Rome. Um, now, Rome allowed Jews to sort of be who they were. They didn't have to serve in the military. They weren't drafted to do that. They weren't required to do that. They also didn't have a lot of rights uh, in terms of national. Uh, the national life of the empire But uh, you might think of it in terms of like the Amish people We just sort of let them do what they do As long as it doesn't cause any problems But throughout their history uh, Underneath the Roman Empire Jews would cause some problems There would be these uprisings, these insurgencies That usually resulted in mass crucifixions uh, Or some form of punishment And so the first century Ideas about the coming Christ were way more political than they were spiritual. And so Peter's frustration with Jesus uh, was tied to his own ideas about how Jesus uh, might rise to power and how he could become an earthly king uh, that Israel needed so desperately. And so when Jesus talked about dying instead at the hand of an oppressive nation, um, it was as if Peter saw the potential of for power just evaporating right in front of him. And this frustrated Peter. And he uh, also knew that if Jesus would be killed, uh, that he and the others would more than likely suffer the same fate. So there's a bit of nervousness too uh, in Peter's reaction uh, to Jesus. And the third thing that happens is that Jesus snaps. Uh, today's text and next week's text, we see Jesus very irritated. And and this one he just snaps. He calls Peter Satan. So get behind me, Satan. I don't know if you've ever used that on somebody, uh, but the word Satan means accuser, and so uh, he's referring to uh, Peter in these terms. This term of like, you know, stop accusing me of doing the wrong thing. It it it's also and Jesus it says also uses. Uh, it also uses the word rebuke as well, that Jesus is now going to rebuke Peter. So Peter thinks Jesus is possessed, but then Jesus turns around and goes, no, you're the one that's possessed and crazy. So now Jesus is fixing Peter. But anyway, that's another that's another sermon for another day. Um, so this is these are the three things that take place. Jesus discloses his fate. Uh, Peter pushes back on Jesus. Jesus pushes back on Peter. So we have a little bit of an argument going on. Um, And the thing about this is that Jesus, I said this last week uh, with the temptation story of Jesus, he continually battled the temptation to uh, assert himself in such a way that he could have easily risen to power. But instead, and this is so important, instead, Jesus chose to spend his time and his ministry in the margins with the forgotten, the powerless, those who didn't have a voice those who had been written off by society and also by the religious community. And Peter knew this because he had seen Jesus uh, in these environments with his own eyes, but thinking maybe perhaps that those things were just parts of the Jesus movement and not the whole thing, Um, that the real stuff, the power and the authority and the influence would be around the corner. And so Jesus says to Peter, Uh, and to the other disciples there, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, we'll talk a little bit next week about how it was that Jesus even ended up being put on trial as Rome itself wasn't all that sure uh, as to why they were trying this person. But the foundation of the frustration that people had with Jesus was his work among the socially, physically, and spiritually discarded people. There's that. But it was coupled with all of his talk about something he kept calling the kingdom of God. It had the sounds of something like a rising movement of power coming from a people who were living in the margins of society. So all of these things play into how Jesus even got put in front of the authorities, perhaps. And again, the disciples were witnessing all of this, but in their minds, they're thinking, Jesus will rise to power in some way. But Jesus says, if you're gonna follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. The cross was an ancient symbol of defeat, of failure. Uh, The number of crucifixions that Rome administered is unknown as it was just too many to count. Jesus is not the only person to have been crucified and the two people on either side of him. Uh, It's countless, the number of crucifixions that Rome administered. And every one of those executions were reserved for criminals and traitors and runaway, runaway slaves and for failed insurgents. It was a tool of suppression and it was used very skillfully and it worked for the most part. It was a symbol of defeat. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, there's some dissonance there in the ears of the disciples. It's also a symbol of power. Um, It's a symbol of power over uh, those who have no power. And so when Jesus shot back at Peter, what he's saying is, look, there's one thing that I will not do. You know, he's able to do all of these miracles and healings, and he's, he's bringing people Uh, their dignity back and he's working among the poor and those in the margins and so on and so forth but he's saying to Peter and to us as well there's one thing that I will not do and that is force anyone to follow me because following me will take you into places where you will encounter the pain and the hurt on the lives of those who have been discarded and who are in need of grace and love and mercy and who, do, who don't remember or have never been told that they are God's children. So to follow me, Jesus is saying, is to take up a cross, which means that your life will look like a defeat, a less than sort of life. But in the ultimate reality of things, you will be participating in the very life of God, the very ways of God. And so for centuries, the church did not embrace the cross as a symbol because it reminded them both of Jesus' death, his defeat uh, at the hands of an empire, and it was also a symbol of power that they weren't interested in. But eventually, it becomes a symbol of humility and even of absorption, where Jesus absorbs all of uh, the ways of the world on the cross, Uh, That God's response to a world um, like that and like this is to absorb it, to um, submit to it, and to subvert it through the resurrection. Um, So the cross becomes a symbol of humility as well. And it's a very timely message for the church, uh, for you and for me as well. That when we think about the movement of Jesus, when we think about his call on our lives to follow him. It is, not a, it is not a rise to power, but it is a somewhat of a defeat. It is a lowering of ourselves uh, to a place of humility where we might work among those who need to hear of God's grace and mercy and his love for them the most. And so, whereas Peter and the disciples were really hoping for uh, something of a change politically and socially for the people of Israel, Jesus was announcing a very different kind of kingdom, and it was frustrating to them. And it felt like a kingdom of loss and not of power or influence. But this is the life that God calls us to. And so with that, uh, we'll drop into our second breakout, discuss some of this, and then we'll come back around and take communion together. Grace and peace.